Hi, and welcome to another episode of the RCH Kids Health Info Podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr. Margie Danshan, paediatrician here at RCH, and I'll be your host for today, and I'm joined by my good friend, Dr. Anthea Rhodes. Thanks, Margie. On today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Mike O'Brien, surgeon in urology here at the RCH, and we're going to be talking all about the penis and foreskin care in boys. Welcome, Mike. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. From the Royal Children's Hospital, Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info Podcast. Okay, Mike, so before we dive right in, perhaps you can tell our listeners, what is a urologist? Uh, urologist is a, a surgeon who operates on the uh, urinary tract, so kidneys, bladder, and the genitals. Uh, so for the purpose of today, I'd say I was either the doodle doctor if you're young enough or the pecker checker if you're older. Fantastic. All right. So parents often worry about boys and their penis, and today we really want to talk about some of the common questions that cause parents most concern. So what would be some of the most common questions you're asked uh, about boys and their penis? Uh, outside of boys who are born with an abnormal penis, the, with normal penis, the uh, most common things are either the foreskin's too tight, or it balloons when it wheezes, or there's a funny lump. And if we talk about the foreskin, parents are often not sure whether they should be encouraging boys or whether boys should be pushing back the foreskin themselves to wash the glands. What do you tell parents? I tell them that they should leave it alone until the boy is toilet trained. Um, the, the penis and the foreskin develop out of the same bit of tissue when you're going from being an egg to being a boy. And it's a bit like, a, I think of it as a little bit like being like a banana skin stuck to the head. If it doesn't go back, it's because it's stuck to the head of the penis. Therefore, if you try to pull it back, you're like it's like peeling it apart and it will hurt and it'd be painful. Yeah. Um, so parents shouldn't do that for babies who are in, and infants who are in nappies. Once you toilet train, then you should teach him that he should pull it back as comfortably as he can whilst voiding, which will also help with his aiming, which is always an advantage. <laughs> and also he should pull it back as much as he comfortably can when he is uh, showering or washing. Okay, that makes and sense. And they're really the only person who should pull it back is the owner. The owner of the penis. Yes. So, so you can encourage a bit of hands-on though there for the boys. So they might be when they're younger, you can encourage, and when they're older, you might want to reconsider your position. <laughs> well, I think there's a there's a reasonable question there though. So, is it normal for boys to want to sort of get their hands on their penis? Because it seems to be a habit that kicks in pretty early, and sometimes parents are a bit worried about this. The hand is always down the pants. What's that about? Was oh, that song? Put your hands on your pants, and I bet you'll feel nuts. <laughs> I can't remember that. That was a great lyric. Um, but yes, it's absolutely boys from a about the age of two become genitally aware. Prior to that, they don't really. Yep. A- and they will often grab it. Sometimes they're grabbing it because it's itchy and sometimes they're just not even aware that they're doing it and uh, that persists. It's nothing abnormal. It's nothing bad about it. It's not, nothing to worry about. I wouldn't go down any kind of Freudian pathway and overinterpret yep. it at all. It's just perfectly normal. Just another body part. Absolutely. Okay, and Mike, sometimes when the separation of the foreskin occurs, there can be these collections or small white lumps that can occur under the foreskin. Can you explain to parents what that is and what they should do about it? So just to backtrack just a little bit. So at birth, about 5% of boys will have a foreskin that can go fully back and forth and isn't stuck at all. By about five years of age, that's down to 10%, so one in 10 boys. By 10 years of age, it's down to 5%. And by 15, it's down to one. And in reality, for most boys, most of the time, there's a 90% chance that the foreskin will go back on its own with just that normal, pull it back when you're peeing, pull it back when you're washing stuff. Now, sometimes when it doesn't go back, 
we all know that we shed skin. I heard once, and I'm not sure how true it is, but it's a good urban myth that about 50% of household dust is shed skin, which is kind of gross. It is a bit gross. So the, the penis sheds skin like all the rest of us. And unfortunately, if the foreskin is still attached, it accumulates under there. So you get this little cheesy kind of mixture of skin, shed skin and oil, and it creates this stuff called smegma. And sometimes it comes out in little bits, and sometimes it accumulates in the form of something called a smegma pearl. So if you pull the skin reasonably not painfully tight but but taut on the head of the penis you'll often see a lump usually on the side just about where the the rim of the head of the penis would be and you could be 99.99999% certain it's a smegma pearl and all you have to do is wait and one day it will break through and the cheesy material will be discharged you might see it in the nappy you probably won't even notice it and then there'll be a little pocket where it used to be and then the process will start next door and eventually it'll happen all the way around. And the so parents should not try and get those out themselves? No, no, no. Don't try and get And don't go and get an ultrasound scan. Yeah, they're sometimes worried that it's something else. It's a lump, uh, you know. Is I this see a an lot infection? Of, is it a growth? Is it something they yeah. need antibiotics for, cream for? And I see a lot of people who come with ultrasound scans in the community that have uh, said lump on side of penis, no blood supply. And as you can imagine, with many radiology reports, they, they try to be all-encompassing and they say cannot exclude tumour. And then people sit waiting for three, four months to come into <laughs> clinic with a, a hor- horrifying... a tumour on the penis. ...when it's just a lump. And usually by the time they come in, then it's gone anyway. Okay, all right. So just to recap, uh, parents need to know not to forcibly retract the foreskin, to leave it alone and to let boys wash it themselves. And if they do see those white lumps, to leave them alone and not touch them and they will eventually come out. Okay, fantastic. And they can be that smegma that you talked about. Sometimes parents worry about the smell of that or that it's offensive and it needs to be cleaned off. I mean, I, I, it's not usually around long enough to be terribly offensively okay. smelling. I suspect that when they're, what they're smelling is a little bit of urine that's been sitting beneath the, the foreskin, which is probably the main source of most problems in boys okay. at that age. Okay. And so what happens is that the, a bit of urine sits, they finish peeing and they haven't pulled, most boys will pull the skin forward rather than backwards. Um, so when they finish peeing, a bit of urine is sitting underneath the skin. They don't pay any attention to it. And basically it's nappy rash. Okay. So they get the uh, ammonia dermatitis or nappy rash. And that causes it to be sore and red and painful when they wee. And then they go to the GP and they've got pain when they pee and smelly urine and one and one equals a UTI and they end right. up on antibiotics and most of the time what they have is inflammation. It's just this irritation of the foreskin and what you, all you really need is the same thing you'd have for a nappy rash. Okay, Mike, so that's really where we were going to go next is to talk about when parents should be worried and if the tip of the penis is red, then you're saying they should go and see their GP and see whether or not they need some topical cream. Is that right? Um, no, I, I think... Uh, my usual one is you shouldn't be worried until it's bothering the kid. Too many parents, in my view, come to see me because they're anxious when actually the kid's completely oblivious to it and, and we won't do anything unless you're symptomatic. So if it just looks red, it's probably nappy rash. Put a dollop of whatever you put on their bum. All you're trying to do is put something that's a barrier between the skin and the urine. Okay. And that will stop the irritation and it'll settle down. If it doesn't settle down, that's the time to go and see your GP. So the key then more is red and painful. Red and painful, red and a discharge, or persistently red and not responding. So a discharge, maybe you could talk a bit more about what what that is for listeners. If it's more of a sort of watery pus, you know, most people have an idea what pus is, it's sort of yellow gooey stuff. Yeah, pus is not nice stuff. No. That really will be a bit whiffy and have Absolutely. a smell. Yeah. And be painful. And often what you'll have then is you won't have just redness on the tip of the foreskin, you'll have redness that may go along the entire shaft. If okay. you see that, then you definitely 
be it the GP, and if you can't get to the GP, you probably should go to the emergency department because you probably need antibiotics. So if there's a discharge, so pus or something yep. offensive coming out of the penis, if and it's redness, red and, soreness, and swollen and sore, then something really see, is up. See somebody. And you mentioned earlier, Mike, uh, sometimes the foreskin can balloon out. Can you talk uh, us through that a bit more? People worry about that way more than they need to. Um, I think people have a sort of a cognitive image in their head of Wile E. Coyote cartoons when you stand on the hose and the hose goes dum, 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 dum. <laughs> in reality... But it's going to actually blow up and burst. Exactly. But a, a guy called Hutton in Cardiff uh, did studies and he looked at the flow rates, how well the urine came out, and he compared three groups of boys, boys who were circumcised, boys whose foreskins went back and forth easily, and boys whose foreskins were not able to go back and forth, and found that they all pee with exactly the same flow rate. In some respects, that ballooning is a little bit like Mother Nature getting the foreskin stretched and ready to go back. There's two kinds of ballooning too. So there's the ballooning that looks just at the end or looks like a, is a sort of sausage-shaped ballooning, just like the shape of a penis, but it's just broader. And then there's a kind of a ballooning that looks like a, like a, a ball. If it's a sausage-shaped ballooning that goes up when you wee, comes down when, it, when you're finished, and you're not red, you're not sore, and it's not bothering you, you can see somebody, but if you go to see somebody like me and I'm ferociously conservative, if it isn't bothering the kid, then I will try and reassure the parents and say, leave it alone. If the parents are anxious still despite that, then I will occasionally give them a prescription for a steroid cream for a short period of time. What the steroid cream does really is it kind of shows you what Mother Nature's got planned. It sort of shows you what's going to happen as he approaches puberty and starts to produce his own steroids in the form of male hormone, testosterone, which you know, they don't produce between about six months of age and puberty, whenever that is, 12 to 14. Um, so it may help the foreskin to go back and forth. You may loosen it up and open it up. The problem is if the boy goes back to not pulling it back every time he pees and not pulling it back every time he washes, if you don't try to pull it back and put the cream in the right place, you just wipe it on the end of your willy, then basically it's going to wipe off on his jocks and yeah. you're not, not doing anything. anything. Having yeah. the exactly. cream then probably sort of helps that process. It encourages yeah. pulling the foreskin back it's, and that's exactly. as much a part of the fix as the cream itself. It may be even more, truth be told. Okay. It depends on the age too. I mean, you know, you don't want to be doing it to a three-year-old. Yes. You really want an eight-year-old and they have to be engaged in it. And we will often prescribe it. And you'll see, they'll come back and they'll say, oh, I used it once. It's not a kind of, it's, it is a medication. It's an intervention. You have to use it as prescribed rather yeah. than just dip into the, oh, oh, it's a bit red today. I'll put him back on the cream for another three days. Which in reality with parenting and life's busy and, you know, you're trying to get kids to do Difficult this, to that do. might be exactly yeah. what happens. Once you go down a path of starting a treatment, you've convinced yourself there's a problem that needs fixing. And that you need to. So then you go and you see a surgeon and you, you think that the next step is an operation, when in reality, what you probably just need is a bit of patience. But Mike, sometimes the cream doesn't work yep. or you get to the point where you might need to consider surgery. Can yep. you talk us through that? The scenarios for surgery, if you like, are in the, in the normal boy, it would be boys who keep getting symptomatic balanitis, this inflammation at the end of the foreskin that is just painful and it's just causing them distress and, and nobody wants to have a kid who's distressed. So if despite proper penile care and properly appropriately applied steroid cream for a two-month period, it, you're nowhere along, then you can consider circumcision. And Mike, what about if the foreskin retracts and gets stuck uh, and is, is very tight around the, the glands? So that, that 
happens occasionally. And yeah, if it, if it, it gets stuck back for too long, you end up with something called paraphimosis, which just what happens is that it's like if you bang your finger with your wedding ring, your finger gets swollen beyond it and then it becomes a more vicious cycle because the swelling makes the ring tighter. And it can be quite painful, And obviously. it can be very painful. And yeah. you end up coming to ED, there's no question. A lot of boys, it tends to happen when you're slightly older. It usually happens because you've pulled the foreskin back as you've been instructed or requested to do and you haven't pulled it back over to cover the penis either at the end of peeing or in post-pubertal boys after other things. Uh, and then it tends to be a bit, certainly in the post-pubertal boy, there tends to be a slightly longer uh, period before they'll fess up to it being a problem. Yeah. Because okay. it tends to be a bit of, be a bit, bit of bit embarrassment about the fact that you might have mm-hmm. been masturbating. Like, oh, who cares? Yeah. Uh, so you tend to be a bit slow and then you might end up having to go to theatre. As a general rule, if it can be reduced, it doesn't tend to recur. Oh, I think good. people obviously that's learn a very salutary lesson yeah. very quickly. <laughs> I won't be doing that again in a hurry. Whoa. Not, <laughs> so, the, not so the cause that got there. You just learn to put it back when you're finished. <laughs> so does that can that sometimes just resolve um, on its own or does it norm, no, do you normally never. need to? If no, that okay. happens, you've got to go to hospital and get it reduced. And the longer it sits there, Worse the it gets, more difficult it becomes to resolve and the more likely you edge towards um, a theatre environment. Okay. So I think we've talked about a couple of situations where parents should definitely seek help for their boys um, and take them to the GP, particularly if they're the head of the penis is red and painful, as you said. Um, if there's a discharge, uh, if the foreskin is ballooning and it's a problem for the boy, um, and also potentially if the foreskin gets um, stuck or is tight around the head of the penis would be all reasons to go and see your GP or sometimes go straight to the emergency department. And lots of things outside of that that are in fact really normal and that you don't need to worry about. And if it's not a problem for the boy... By and large, shouldn't be a problem for you. So now I thought we would talk about uh, a topic that is very emotive, uh, and that is circumcision, Mike. There's a lot of discussion, I think, about whether boys should be circumcised and do they need to look the same as their dads. That definitely comes up in mothers' groups, I think. Oh, I get it in clinic a lot. Yeah, I usually point out that I hope to God dad doesn't lose a leg, (laughs) and if they do, the kid should leave home quickly. It's not exactly good medicine. <laughs> well, that's exactly. true because, you know, we have these things that just because it's happened for generations that, you know, should it keep going, but it has to stop at some point potentially. But this is a, it's a legitimate concern for yeah. a lot of families where they think, well, my child's not going to look like dad and what's that going to do? Is it going to make them worried? So there's kind of two, two other ways of looking at it. One is, is that in Victoria, the government made a decision for the right reason that you can't have a circumcision for non-medically indicated reasons in the public system. And and I support that because it meant that other people who needed care for clinical reasons were being queuing behind or you kept someone on a waiting list for circumcision for years, which is not kind either. And we've just heard about those reasons that do sometimes happen where it's medically needed. And they obviously need to get in when they need to get in. Yeah. You can find papers that will support either perspective. Yes. My personal view is one of the guides everything I do is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So broadly speaking, I tend not to. Now, at the moment, the pendulum socially has swung towards not being circumcised in the sort of the non-Jewish, non-Muslim community. I agree. And it's certainly (laughs) something that, you know, is much less common now than, you know, when we were kids. Definitely. And so then we'll find within another generation that 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 issue probably is starting to go away where yeah. people are worried about dad's different to my child. And people come and, and the reality is that people come with, you know, with some understanding of literature saying, well, he's less likely to get a UTI. And that's yeah. true. You are 10 times less likely to get a urinary tract infection if you're a circumcised man than if you're an uncircumcised man. And so how likely though in the first place are you to get a UTI that's, if that's, you're a man? That's the follow up. So the reality is you go from being 99% unlikely 
to 99.9% unlikely. Yeah. So you have to do at least 100 circumcisions to prevent one UTI, yeah. which is easily treated by a five-day course of antibiotics. So you've got, yeah. you got to trim a lot of shooters to avoid so the problem. So that's not a medical indication concern about a UTI, obviously. We talked about the medical indications it before. Is, it and is in a small subgroup of kids. So if you've got boys who have got other kidney problems right. where the risk of an infection is greater for them than it is for any one of my four sons who don't have kidney problems, then you may well do it. So for those then, that number needed to treat, that sort of how many to avoid, then for kids who've got reflux or dilated kidneys or other kidney problems, then you've got to do 10 circumcisions to prevent a UTI. And where that UTI may have a consequence for their renal function, that's different. That could, but in the yeah, normal population, that's what I was referring to. A hundred well kids boy, to do to avoid yeah. one UTI, which is a very rare event anyway, is just not worth it. Yeah. So unless you had some underlying problem that meant you were more likely as a boy to be getting a urinary tract infection, there would yeah. be no reason to be having a circumcision to prevent that. No. What about religious um, indications? Christianity doesn't require it. Some small. Um, uh, bespoke ones may do but predominantly it's Jewish children who have a bris uh, and then Muslim and uh, depending on where you come from some Muslim cultures get it early and some do it sort of later as a kind of a transition into into adulthood as a sort of yeah. celebratory thing around the ages of 12. So that leads us into uh, if a circumcision is indicated for either medical or religious reasons how is it normally done? Where would um, a, a parent take their boy? So for medically indicated circumcisions you can have it done in a public hospital in Victoria, or you can have it done in a private hospital, or you can have it done in clinics. There are clinics around the state that do it. Uh, they, they do them slightly differently. So if it's done in a hospital, it tends to be done under general anaesthetic, and it tends to be where the, this, the foreskin is cut away, excised, and you're stitched up, and that's it. you just got to heal. If it's done in clinics, a lot of, a lot of clinics will not do it under general anaesthetic. They may use some local numbing cream, and they may use a penile block which is local anaesthetic and they often use something called a plastibel which is a it's hard to describe it's like putting a little plastic dome over the head of the penis and then tying a string around the outside to crush the skin in between and generally this the the skin then should drop off about within about a week to 10 days and that's probably the most common non-hospital based circumcision method it's very 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 common Right. And what about complications from some of these procedures then, Mike? So obviously any surgical procedure has a risk. Um, where circumcisions are happening outside of a hospital environment, what are the things parents might need to be aware of if this is something they're considering? There's the view about whether it's comfortable or not. I think there's, yes. a, there's a misperception that uh, you're small and you can't talk and it doesn't hurt. Uh, yes. And that's complete bunk. It is painful. You can't, you yeah. can't, yeah. You so can't cut something and have it not be painful. Pain relief is really It's very appropriate, absolutely. Yeah. Australia, Melbourne in particular, has a very large Muslim community and a very large Jewish community. And we see very few circumcision complications. Okay. So by and large, what's happening out there seems to be an okay practice. Yes. The kind of complications that we do see is that we do occasionally see a plastibel which hasn't fallen off and that's a problem and we just have to take the, the boy to theatre and remove it. We probably do that a few times a year. Okay. Um, bleeding, which is a infrequent com complaint, probably about once a month, maybe once every six weeks. And to be fair to, to practices outside, when we looked at the patients who present to our emergency department, it was probably 50-50 people who were circumcised outside as opposed to patients who were circumcised by RCH surgeons. So we all have complications. Yes. Um, and I suspect that, you know, when I consider how few people I see, 
I think circumcision in the community as a practice it's is done pretty well. fairly safe. Yeah. You do see the odd kid where perhaps a bit more skin was taken than we do and that causes a lot of anxiety and there's not a lot that we can do about that. We can't put it back um, but we do kind of try and reassure and encourage parents to be patient and to wait and see what happens with pubertal growth. But Mike, would you say generally, obviously, in an older boy, they're much more likely to have the circumcision in a hospital setting than no, it depends than a on community the community setting. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a there are clinics around Melbourne that will do older boys as well. Um, the only other thing I'd say is that if you have a smaller kid and you're going to do it, then I would be very cautious if you ha- if you're lucky enough to have a chubby kid. Where we do see something called a trapped penis post surgery is if you've got a a chubby baby and who are all lovely, you know, it kind of looks like a front rower for the New Zealand rugby team. (laughs) The Michelin man. Delicious roles. Exactly. What happens, unfortunately, is that when you circumcise it, sometimes the penis retracts into the fat. It's perfectly normal sized, but the scar then heals over it and the penis gets trapped inside. And that can be a Dickens to fix. Um, But so other than that, I just, you know, if you've got a normal kid, then your choices are your choices. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, that's reassuring to know that generally not a lot of complications are seen and parents need to think about pain relief as part of the process. When we obviously don't happening. see the denominator, but you can yeah. you could guess that the denominator is quite high just based yeah. on population. Great. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today, Mike. It's been great to talk about what's normal and that it is uh, very common for boys to have their hands down their pants. Um, And also, you know, when parents should think about taking them to the GP and, of course, a really terrific conversation about circumcision. Um, So we hope you've learnt something uh, from this episode, especially what's normal. Well, that wasn't to me. Sorry. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us today, Mike. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to follow us on your preferred podcast platform and leave us a review. You can also find out additional information about the penis and foreskin care and circumcision through our Kids Health Info webpage. A link will be posted in the episode notes. Thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.